You're listening to a message from the Church at Martinsburg. For more information about the Church at Martinsburg, visit martinsburgchurch.org. I want to just take a moment and introduce myself. My name is Josh McLean, and I serve as one of the pastors here at the church at Martinsburg. It's a privilege of mine to be here with you this morning. Um, in just a few months, uh, this is a sweet time because in just a few months, uh, me and, and several others, my, my family, I hope, will go with me. Uh, we're going to be going to Hagerstown. I have to be starting a new church called Hagerstown Church. And the church at Martinsburg is planting Hagerstown Church, and I'm, a, I'm privileged to be a part of this body that is sending, ascending people, uh, sent by ascending God. And so that's, that's fantastic. Um, two weeks ago, we began this series, Who We Are, and I, I want to continue that series today by looking at uh, the second value, which is the word matters here. But two weeks ago, we began looking at uh, this idea of people helping people find and follow Jesus. What does that even mean? We started in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we saw that God uh, reconciled Christ or, or us through Christ to himself. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and reconciled us together with him. He, made, he took out the, the ordinances uh, of the law that were against us, that were contrary to us, and nailed it to Jesus' cross. So we've been reconciled. As Christians, we've been made right with God. He didn't just forget about it. He didn't ignore our sin. But Jesus paid our debt. So we've been reconciled to God. And because we've been reconciled to God through Christ, we have now become ambassadors for Christ. We become ambassadors for Christ, and we receive this message of reconciliation that we go forward and we bear and we share with our, our children, with our, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. And that's people helping people find and follow Jesus. That's the way that we say it. People helping people find and follow Jesus. The first people have found, have been found, they've been reconciled to God, and now they go with that message as ambassadors. So people helping people find and follow Jesus. That was two weeks ago, and then last week we began to look at our values, and we looked at this, this idea, this statement that it's all about Jesus, and we asked the question, what does that even mean? Does it mean it's all about Jesus, like everything, like my career, my education, my family, is, is everything about Jesus? And the answer was a resounding yes, everything's about Jesus, everything in this world. Jesus is sovereign, he's the ruler over all of creation, and he's the sovereign over his church. And so, yes, of course, because of that, everything will be about Jesus. That's just part of our values. That's who we are as a people. So the second value that we'll look at this morning is this idea that the word matters here. If this is your first time this morning, you've probably already heard that. Whether you've been here a, a, a thousand times or this is your first, you've heard that before. It's, it's in our sermons. It's printed on our loop. And it's even the Wi-Fi password here at the church in Martinsburg it, at 50 Monroe. Like that, it, it, it does. It truly matters here, especially if you want to access the stats uh, for NFL uh, or you know, for what's happening right now. And so the word matters here. It's cap. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, this, it, it indicates one of our core values. And as a body of believers, a church, we agree together that the Bible speaks to every area of our lives. And I want to implore you this morning to see that it is a book that is relevant to everyone and to everything. The Bible is important. It matters here. And so when we speak of the word mattering here, I want to be very clear what we're speaking about. We're speaking about the 66 installments of Holy Scripture, the 66 books that, that make up the Old Testament, which contains the Law and the Prophets, and the New Testament, which, con, or New Testament, which contains the Gospels. And the final installment of the canon was written close to 2,000 years ago. But yet that book, that old book, it matters here. And not only does it matter here, but it has also mattered throughout history. 
The Bible is widely considered to be the best-selling book of all time with estimated total sales of, get this, over 5 billion copies. Historically, it's been said that it is the most sold book of all time and it is regularly on various bestseller lists and has been translated into more than 1,200 languages. In fact, one of our missionaries, even this morning, is working to translate, Drew Most is working to translate daily uh, the book, uh, this Bible, into other languages. I want to just take a moment and speak about uh, the Bible Museum in D.C. If you haven't heard about that, I want to encourage you to check it out. It's a fantastic place. I had the opportunity to visit that, and it just blew my mind to see uh, all of these interactive exhibits and getting to see the history of the Bible in a little more uh, detail. And on one level, I think it's the fourth, maybe it's the fifth, I'm not exactly sure, but on one level, you can go into a room, and it's got a, a representation of every Bible ever translated. And so you've got a section there that's pretty large that shows every Bible that's been translated into another language. And you can actually go and you can grab it and it'll say on the spine what language that Bible has been written in. You can open it up and you can actually read and see. Well, you can't read it, but maybe you can. You can see uh, that language and how it's been translated. What's, what's sad and it's just it's, it's terrifying is the fact that there are so You should put that Bible back and you look around. There are so many Bibles there that bear the, the name of the language on the spine, but if you open it up, it does not have the actual contents in there. It's not been translated yet. So maybe uh, the, Lord, the Lord has called many people to be a part of Bible translation, and maybe the Lord will call some of us to that. Maybe he'll, he'll call some of our children to that as well, to be a part of his word going forth into the nations that do not yet have the Bible, the word of God, in their hands. But we would say this, that the word matters here. It's the 66 books, the Old Testament and the New Testament together. They matter here. And what do we mean when we say it matters here? Well, just like when we say it's all about Jesus, we mean it matters here and in every area of our lives. As we look at this statement, I want to really ask you to think about, like, to what degree does the Word of God matter to you? Think about that. To what degree does the Word of God actually matter to you? To what degree does it matter to your family and to this church as well? And it's probably not helpful for us just to give a Sunday school answer this morning. Well, it, it means everything. Really think about that. This isn't a question of condemnation. We want to really want to figure this out. Where, do you, where are you at? Do you really believe that the Word of God, the Bible, matters to you? Do you demonstrate that? We as a church, do we demonstrate that? Let's think critically of this church. Do we really truly demonstrate that corporately, that the Word of God matters here? If you're here this morning and you believe that the Word of God does matter, I want to encourage you this morning by showing you how and why it does, what, what the Bible has to say about itself. Do we, I, I believe that you'll be encouraged I'm not so foolish to believe that there's are, there are not other people here this morning that would say, I, I, I'm struggling to trust the Bible. And if that's you here this morning, I want to just take a moment and, and speak to you directly. We are glad that you're here, and we welcome you. And this morning, my hope is that as we look at the Word of God and what it has to say about itself, that you will be encouraged, that you will taste and see that the Word of God is true and that it is good and that it does matter. Specifically, as we look at this passage this morning, I believe that we'll see that it is, the Word of God, it is authoritative in our lives, and it is also sufficient, and that's why it matters. Okay? So while I was in Alaska, just a few weeks ago, we took, we, I led a missions trip from the church at Martinsburg to Alaska. Ten of us went out there. We had a great time. My son had the opportunity to go with us. That was his first missions trip, and we did a lot of cool stuff. We shared the gospel with a lot of people. We put up a lot of bounce houses. We, 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 we passed out a lot of snow cones and hot dogs and stuff like that, and it was a great time. But while we weren't working our, our, our tails off, uh, or we were also exploring. 
And so we had the opportunity to hike to the top of Flat Top Mountain, which overlooks Anchorage. And so it's about 3,550 feet, somewhere in there. And uh, we, got, we climbed all the way to the top and we began to look out. And you could even see some, uh, some clouds off in the distance that we were actually over. It was, it was really cool. It was like this giant ice skating rink that just went on for, it seemed like it went on forever. And we could see all that and it was cool. But in one place, as it broke, to, to the north, you could see through the clouds and you could see this giant mountain. It was confusing. Sometimes you would look and you're like, is that a cloud or is that a mountain? You couldn't tell the difference, but this one mountain was a mountain. It wasn't a cloud at all. Clouds, they, they go, right? The wind blows and they're gone. But that mountain was not moving. It was, it was right there. That mountain is 20,000 feet above sea level. It's Denali or Mount McKinley. And that mountain, is, is, it, it's still there right now. Those clouds, they blew away a long time ago, right? That mountain that I could just barely decipher out and finally I could see, it, it's, it's, it's there still today. It doesn't depend on the fact that I can see it. It doesn't depend on the fact that, that the Alaskans can keep it up, the natives can keep it up. Whether I'm there or not, whether they're there or not, that mountain will stand by itself. And the word of God is no different. In fact, it's far greater. The word of God stands by itself. It's not a cloud. It doesn't, it doesn't come and go with the wind or with the seasons. It's there and it's solid. And so is the word of God this morning. And so if you are here this morning and you doubt and you struggle, I want to encourage you to see the Word of God for what it really is. It's still standing. In 1974, Time released a magazine, and the cover read this, How True is the Bible? And, and inside it, it made this statement. After two, uh, more than two centuries of facing the heaviest scientific guns that could be brought to bear, the Bible has survived. This is, this is, the, this is Time magazine. The Bible has survived and is perhaps the better for the siege. Even on the critics' own terms, historical fact, the scriptures seem more acceptable now than they did when the rationalists began to attack. Think about that. Even on the critics' own terms, historical fact, the scriptures seem more acceptable now than they did when the rationalists began to attack. You see, the Bible stands by itself. In spite of our support for it or our attacks against it, it will stand just as that mountain stands today. You can kick the tires and you can investigate, and I welcome you to do that. I encourage you to do that. Let's get answers here this morning to see what the Bible has to say about itself. Is it authoritative? Does it mean something in our lives? Should it mean something in our lives? And is it sufficient? Can it meet our needs as Christians as we move forward in this world? Can it do what needs to be done? So to the one that has written the Bible off as an archaic collection of irreverent babblings, I want you to encourage, I'm going to encourage you to taste and see the husband and wife who view the Bible only as a self-help book, nothing more. I want you to taste and see this morning. To the believer this morning who is wavering in his confidence of this book, I want your passion and your, your confidence to be renewed as we look at this book this morning. Taste and see. So this morning we'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, I want to just make sure you're aware that there are Bibles on the back uh, tables, and you're welcome to grab one of those and use it this morning and take it home. It's our gift to you. As we turn there into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, I want to, want to make some comments here. So no other passage in the New Testament speaks so succinctly of the nature and work of God's, uh, and work of God's word and salvation and sanctification. In this text, the spiritual transforming power of divine revelation is described. And I believe together, as we look at it, it will serve to be extremely beneficial to us. And so a little bit of the context, Paul is speaking to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. 
And uh, Paul has referenced quite a bit of what, he has, what he's been through, the, the, the struggles that he has had, the good things and the bad things. And specifically, he talks about persecution that he has. And he encourages Timothy, hey, you're going to face some, some persecution as well. You'll read it in the text this morning. But he says, you're going to struggle, you're going you're to face some persecution as well. But I want to encourage you to not give up, to hold fast to the word that is authoritative in your life and that is sufficient to sustain you. He says, don't give up. Before I want, to, I want to give some application quickly before we jump into this. So this morning, we won't face exactly what, what Timothy is faced in this passage. We won't, we won't face it. We likely won't face what, what Paul faced, stoned many times, beaten. We won't face that, likely. But there are other things that we will face. There are other struggles that we'll be tempted to back away from the sufficiency of Scripture, from the authority of Scripture. We'll back away. We'll loosen our grip if we're, if we're not careful. And the the warning goes out to us, the encouragement to continue, to not let go. And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll read 10 to 17. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. What happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from, from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Timothy, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask you this morning that your word would dwell in our hearts richly, that you would grant us a desire, greater desire for the Bible, better understanding of it this morning. Father, let us see Jesus for who he is, the focal point of the entire Bible. Jesus, we ask these things in your name and for your glory alone. Amen. So church, there's uh, much to be said about the Bible, the Word of God. In fact, the Bible speaks about itself quite often. And here in this passage, we see a great deal, as I've already mentioned, about the Bible. And chiefly among uh, all these thoughts that are shared are these two. And that is that the Bible is authoritative. And the, word, and the Bible is sufficient. So the Bible is authoritative, or the Word is authoritative, and the Word is sufficient. So first, let's look at the authority of Scripture. So think about this idea of authority for a moment. You're speeding down the interstate. And something catches your eye, and as soon as you see that, something changes in your heart. Your foot goes off the gas pedal, and it goes to, a little bit to the brake. Now, you're not going to go too much. You don't want to nosedive, but you are going to gently depress the brake. Why? You've recognized some authority in your life. You've seen the seal of, of the great state of West Virginia. And you've also begun to see the, the blue and white lights, perhaps. Maybe you're fortunate and you haven't yet. But you recognize that authority and something changes in you. You say, who's speaking now? Who's, who's on me? Who's coming after me? That's the authority of West Virginia. That trooper, he represents, right? He stands in the place of West Virginia, the, the great state, and he will use that authority to punish you, right? To bring justice to you for speeding down the interstate. And in my family, it's not uh, such an uncommon idea to think about authority. Uh, my, my, my boys, they love that. I got a 13-year-old and a, and a soon-to-be 11-year-old. Um, oh, man, I'm in big trouble. Yeah, 
Mm. Anyway, I got some boys, and uh, they're older, and, uh, and they love to parent the younger ones. They love to help us out. And by the way, we're thankful for that. We're very grateful. And so we'll hear conversations as Sarah and I are having coffee or whatever, we'll, you know, doing whatever parents do, right? The kids are minding themselves, and Riley will say something to Caroline. He'll say, you need to do this. You need to clean this mess up. And Caroline, she's, she's sharp. She's not going to be pushed around. She stands up and she looks at him. Maybe she just rolls her eyes and looks away and she says, who said? Who said? She wants to know, did dad say this or did you say this? Because you ain't nothing but a pipsqueak, okay? And I ain't going to listen to you and I'm tougher than you. She is. She's tough. But she, she says, who said, right? I'm not going to cross dad, but I will cross you. And so we ask this question all the time, who said? And so you, some of the times we think that the Bible has been reduced to just a list of rules or instructions appearing at times to imprison us and to steal our freedom, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is the very thing that sets us free, but it does have guidelines and it does have rules. And we've got to make this decision. Will we submit ourselves to the authority of scripture? And we ask that question, who said? Well, verse 16 gives us the answer. And so all scripture, it says, is breathed out by God. King James translation gives us this, it says it's given by inspiration of God. The idea is it's a transfer of breath, that even that inspiration, which is a little bit of an unfortunate uh, translation for our day and age, just because it, 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 it means to say something that it actually is not saying. So inspiration, it means more than just it was they were inspired by God. They were, whoo, God makes me just want to do great things. It, what, that's not what it's saying here. It actually means God Breathe. The very breath of God came out of God. It exhaled out of God and went into the writers. And as they received the breath of God, they began to write the holy scriptures. It's the very words of God. So when you speak, you are exhaling. And when God spoke, he exhaled, he breathed the words of God. And so it's been said that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. His voice is heard on every page of Scripture. Think about that this morning. That when, when, when you read the Bible, you're hearing the very voice of God. Nicholas Kristof, he's a, a journalist and a writer for the New York Times. He, interviewed, uh, he interviews people all the time, every week. But he interviewed uh, President Carter, but he also interviewed uh, Pastor Timothy Keller. And he asked them both the same question. And it's really interesting as you contrast their, their, um, their interviews but he asked them both, am I a Christian? Right? He's a, he's a kind guy, uh, but he, he believes differently. He said, I, I like Jesus. I like the message. He, he poses this question to both of them. I like Jesus. I like his teachings. I love the Sermon on the Mount, but I can't believe some of the things that the Bible says and that he said. I just can't believe it. I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe in these miracles. I don't believe that he walked on water. I don't, I don't believe any of that. And he says to Tim, uh, Pastor Timothy Keller, and he says to, to, Pastor, or to uh, President Jimmy Carter, can I be a Christian? It's, it's encouraging to hear Pastor Keller's uh, uh, words. He says, basically, no, you cannot be. With love, speaking the truth. No, you can't be. If you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe in these things, you, you can't be a Christian. It's just impossible. Same question I said, it was, like I said, was mentioned and, and given to President Carter. And he, he, he says, there are some things in the Bible that I can agree with, and there are others that I cannot agree with. He says, there are some things that I can accept. There are other things I cannot accept. This man claims to be a Christian, and, and here's my challenge to you this morning. Do we have the ability, do we have the right to look at the very word of God and say, these things I will accept, and these things I will not accept? 
Not that long ago, we, we heard a reference to uh, Thomas Jefferson, who, who made, uh, this, uh, made the, the, took the action that he would take his scripture, he'd take the Bible, and he would open it up, and he would cut things out that he just didn't believe, that he couldn't believe, that he couldn't espouse. He would just take it out of his Bible. And what was left was not very much. And that approach is, 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 is terrible. How can we, the creature, look at the creator and say, I can't believe what you've, what you've given to us. I can't accept this. These are the very words of God, and we have to believe them. And so the problem with this approach to the, to the Bible of just picking and choosing is that now you become the authority. President Carter had become the authority now. St. Augustine said, that when, uh, said it well when he wrote, If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Think about that. If you believe what you want and, and reject what you don't want, it's not the gospel you believe, it's yourself. Now, foolish. We are not the authority. And, and, and President Jimmy Carter, he may have been qualified for the office of president, but he is not qualified for God. We talked about that last week. You are not qualified to be God. You're underqualified. You don't have a right to pick and choose of, of the Bible what you believe because Scripture is the very words of God. It carries the weight of God. It's not for us to pick through. And so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, heaven and earth will pass away. Right? Even that mountain will pass away. He said, but my words will never pass away. As firm and strong as Mount McKinley or, or Denali stands this morning, even greater is the word of Christ. Even greater is the words of God. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what we say. And I say that with love and humility. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. God speaks. and His word is true and his truth is timeless. It's ironic in the midst of the enlightenment when deism, this, this false view that God did create but now is, is uninvolved and disengaged, when that was spreading rapidly, Voltaire proclaimed that within 25 years, the Bible would be forgotten and Christianity would be a thing of the past. And yet 40 years after his death in 1778, his home, the one that he died in, was being used to print Bibles and other Christian literature. The irony is, is striking See, the, the Bible is God's word, and it's not going to cease. It's authoritative because he is the creator of all. And because he's the creator and the sustainer, he's also the ruler. We looked at that last week. He's sovereign over, and his word, therefore, is sovereign over us. We submit to it like we do the seal of West Virginia. That's what we do. We rebel when we, uh, we ignore this truth. And teenagers for years have caught a bad rap as if they're the only ones that rebel. They're the only ones that, that say, oh, I know better. I'm going to go against it. And that's just not true. Parents. Are you submitting to the authority of Scripture? Do you truly step under the Scriptures and lift it high between, above your head for your children to see, submitting to what God says in His Word? Have you done that? If you haven't, the call goes out to you, submit. Stop rebelling. The Word of God is authoritative to us this morning. And I have to admit, I've, I've not done that always. The Lord is kind and gracious, and I, my desire for me and my desire for you as your pastor is that we submit to the authority of the word of God. It's the very breath of God. So the Bible is authoritative because its author is authoritative. And this applies to all scripture. And look, at, look what it says in, in verse 16. It says, all scripture. And you may be tempted to think this morning that that all scripture is a reference to just the Old Testament because at the time of this writing, that is the only, that the Old Testament had been canonized and recognized by the Jews and Christians alike. This Old Testament is the, this is the, this is the scripture. And this is, this is what Paul's talking about, but that's actually not the case. 
We, we read, and Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, he said, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. He's referencing an epistle here. He says, As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And Peter goes on to say, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Peter's saying, hey, I know sometimes Paul, when he writes uh, letters and when he writes scripture to you churches, it, it can be a little bit confusing. And be careful because some people will, will, will distort that and they'll use that to abuse the church because they've done that with other scripture as well. And he's, and he, what Peter is doing is he's lumping Paul's letters, Paul's epistles to the churches that have been canonized today. He's lumping that with the Old Testament. So we're quick to think, oh, that, he might just be talking about the Old Testament. He's not. He's talking about the New Testament as well. And also, uh, you, you, we see in, in Jude, we read in verses 17 and 18, we, 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 you can kind of see that. It says, the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he warns that to be careful because people will take those words of the apostles. And in the last time, they'll be mockers and they'll follow after their own ungodly lust. They'll distort the scriptures as well. And so even Jude has the same thing to say about the New Testament. These scriptures, these, these, these new revelations, so to speak. Be careful, because some people will distort them as they do the other scriptures. And so there you have it. First century Christians regarded Paul's letters as authoritative as scripture. It's important that we think of the Bible the same way that they did as well. As the, the, we see it the same way the first century Christians did. And they believed it was the very breath of God. They believed that it was his very words written down by men. And it's also important for us to understand that it's Scripture that is inspired and not the men who wrote it. Scripture is what is inspired and not the men who wrote it. And so sometimes we're tempted to think that these men, we might think, well, well, Paul, everything he wrote was inspired, and that's just not the case. It's not the case. Paul wrote many things that we don't have today canonized as Scripture. Matter of fact, we know of two books that Paul wrote that are not in the Bible, and they were both written to uh, the, ch- the church at Corinth, and neither one of them are in our Bible and that, that goes to show that not everything that Paul wrote was Scripture. If it was Scripture, we would have it today, but it's not. Now, no doubt it was godly, and it was encouraging to the church at Corinth, but it was not Scripture. So not every time somebody speaks as, uh, as a mouthpiece for God that they are now just the mouthpiece for God with some uh, storehouse of divine truth that they can just dispense at will like some type of a prophet. That's not the case for writers of the New Testament. And the Bible is not a collection of, of wisdom and insights of men, even of godly men. It's more than that. It's God's truth. It's his very words. And the psalmist declared, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That was Psalms 119, verse 89. So God's word is settled forever. It's divinely revealed to to men on earth and divinely authenticated in heaven. Peter declares clearly in 2 Peter chapter 1, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So on the other hand, uh, so we we, we know on one side, the the, the New Testament believers, the the, the early church, they believed that the New Testament was in fact Scripture. What about the Old Testament? We might be tempted nowadays to think, well, maybe that's not inspired. What about that? Is it inspired? Well, no, no Jew in the first century would have, would have even thought about whether or not the Old Testament was inspired. Of course it was inspired. Of course it was the very word of God. That was a, that was a foregone conclusion. 
And, and Christians today, we, 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 dip, we, we find it difficult to power through our Old Testament reading plans. Does this mean anything to us? Is this valuable to us? Is this authoritative in our lives? And the Old Testament, the answer is yes. The Old Testament along with the New is, is theonoustos. It's breathed out by God and is therefore authoritative. And so Paul reminds Timothy, this is special. He reminds Timothy in verse 15 that it was Scripture that illuminated his mind as it related to salvation. It was Scripture that brought Timothy to a place of salvation in his own life. So we think about the Word of God. We think about the Old Testament and the New Testament together. It's the very Word of God. But at this time, when Timothy became a believer, there was only the Old Testament. The apostles' teachings, yes. But canonized, they only had the Old Testament. And even the Old Testament, Paul says to Timothy, it was able to make you wise unto salvation. Verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. That word whom is important. From whom you learned it. Verse 15, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That whom there in the Greek is, in, is plural. And so who, who is it referring to? Is it just Paul? At first glance, you might think, well, the whom is singular, and it's talking about Paul. Paul has definitely instilled a lot of teaching and wisdom in Timothy, and that's great, but that's not just what he's talking about here. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. What a beautiful example it was at the knees of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice that he was led to saving faith. And it was in their lives that he first saw genuine godliness. As they became exposed to the New Testament truth, the reality of the Old Testament anticipation turned into realization. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful testimony. And that's my testimony as well. Seeing the, the, the faith of my grandmother, seeing the faith of my mother. The Lord used that with his scriptures to bring me to a place of salvation. So I, with Timothy, listen to Paul as he says, don't forget, continue on what you've learned and what you firmly believe, knowing that whom taught it to you? Who taught this to you? Your mother, your grandmother, I myself, Paul, I taught you this. It's the scriptures that are able to make you wise to salvation. It's a beautiful picture. So as they become exposed to the New Testament, the reality of the Old Testament, remember, it turns from uh, anticipation to realization. And so parents, that should mean something to you this morning. As we see this, this testimony, Paul to Timothy, and Timothy with, with Lois and Eunice, it should encourage you, it should challenge you that the word of God is able to make your children wise to salvation. And the Bible is the only thing that can do it. You can't do it. You can try as you will. It's the word of God that has the power. So you must teach. We, I asked you a moment ago, does the word of God matter in your family? Does it matter in your family? Do your, do your children see the word of God matters to you? Are you demonstrating that for them? I, I, I encourage you to be sure that that is the truth. And don't ask them to do as you say. Demonstrate. Do Say, do as I do. Love the scriptures as I love the scriptures. Demonstrate that for, the, for them the power that's in it. Recently, Pastor Richard and I uh, had lunch with uh, a pastor that was born and raised in India, and he started a ministry there. It's really been growing. They, they're planting churches in India. It's, it's super encouraging to meet this guy. And as we talked, he, we recognized that he, he had a pretty good wealth of, of uh, Scripture memory just stored up in his mind. And as we talked about, like, what, 
his, his story and his testimony, he talked about his mom and how she was just, a, just a, a, a stalwart for the faith there. In his own life, she was a Lois. She was a Eunice here in his life. And one of the things that was remarkable is that she, he said to us is, he said, sometimes for breakfast, breakfast would be served, but I wouldn't be able to eat it until I memorized and, and quoted the verse for the day. Imagine that. Imagine not being able to eat breakfast until you've quoted your, you, and told your mom the verse for the day. That, for some of us, that would be difficult. A lot of us are like, well, we, I can't memorize. I just can't do it. I, I bet if your waffle's getting cold, you could. And, th- and this guy, he said, well, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to memorize the scriptures, right? And so his mom was taking seriously the, the testimony to hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. And his, his mom probably changed it to something like uh, hide the word in your heart before you hide the waffle in your stomach, Right? Like she, she was making sure that he saw the priority, that the word of God was more important. It had authority in his life. Parents, Deuteronomy teaches us in, in, in chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today, they shall be on your heart. And listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Parents, the Old Testament is authoritative. Teach it to your children. Teach the New Testament to your children. Read the scriptures together as a family. Faithfully commit to do family devotions, and let your children see you reading this book. And demonstrate them for them that you need this book, and that they need this book. Still in them a respect for God's word. Don't just encourage them to love it. You love it. And this is not just how your children come to faith in Christ. This is how our neighbors come to faith in Christ. They, they see that we are submitting ourselves to the authority of Scripture, that we love the word of God, and that it means everything to us. It's how our neighbors come to faith. It's how our, our, our co-workers come to, to faith. It's how our family, our extended family, comes to faith in Christ. The truth of the word, when mixed with faith in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, leads to the spiritual life and the life of your children, life of your coworkers and your neighbors, and that of yourself. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is asked a rhetorical question. He says, how shall they, speaking of unbelievers, speaking of unbelieving neighbors, speaking of unbelieving children, he says, how, how shall they hear without a preacher? And he later explains that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing, uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, or the word of Christ. The word represent, or, or presented by human witness is God's plan for reaching people with the gospel. So both the Old and the New Testament is authoritative in your life and everybody's life. And God, the one who gives you life at this very moment, spoke into existence the universe plus everything in it. He spoke again and breathed out the Old and New Testament into existence and has therefore given and sent you a message of instruction, of encouragement, of information. It's, it's there. With the advent, advent of email, it's likely that you don't receive many handwritten letters. But do you remember when you used to get those? Do you remember when you'd get a handwritten letter and it wasn't somebody blessing you out? Maybe it was a birthday card, handwritten. I, I love even just, if I can just get one that's addressed in handwriting, right? That's, that's, that's good enough for me. But when we see those, when we, when we used to see them, maybe it was a birthday card. Maybe it had a 20 in there. Whatever it was. Maybe it was, just, uh, maybe it was somebody writing you back, your pen pal. Did anybody ever do pen pal? 
few of us did. I loved Pen Pal. That was, that was exciting. Somebody took the time, was thinking of you, wrote you a letter, communicating some information, encouragement, or whatever, and now they patiently await you to respond. It's a beautiful thing. And how much more uh, beautiful, how much greater is it that the God of this world, the creator of the universe, has written you a letter full of information, full of encouragement, full of instruction. It's, it's all there. So to the one this morning that's struggling with answering the question, what is the meaning of life? Struggling with discovering your purpose here on earth individually. To the one who returns day after day to your sin and you can't break through the chains that are holding you down and you, you want to. To you, help is here. And it's in the word of God. It's in the Bible. He's given it to us as a gift. The author of life has authored a book in the dark night of the soul when men need more than pithy statements and cute stories about the meaning of life. We search for comfort and we search for authority and we find it, sweet satisfaction in the words of God that breathe life into us. We find it in the scriptures. So who said? Whose authority, by, whose authority is, is, is on this word of God? It is the Bible. It is the authority of God. So we see its authority, but what of its sufficiency? In other words, is it capable of guiding us through all of life? At the, at the church at Martinsburg, we believe that it is. The Bible is how we learn. It's how we change. It's how we grow. Everything that we do as a church and ultimately everything that we do or should do as individuals is founded on this book. It's, 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 how, we do, it's how we do life. So Scripture teaches us that the Bible is sufficient. Look again at verse 16. Look again at verse 16. It says, all scripture, we, we covered that, is breathed out by God, covered that, and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God, those four things can, can, together, are working towards the man of God becoming, or woman, becoming complete and equipped for every good work. And so the Bible is profitable in many ways, but specifically this morning we see four ways, and so let's look at them. We see it's first its ability to teach, the Bible's ability to teach. The Bible teaches us what is true about God and what is true about man and sin, what is true about redemption and grace. It displays a complete body of, of doctrine as it applies to life and godliness. And don't be confused. While the Bible is comprehensive, it is not exhaustive. It, it is comprehensive, but it is not exhaustive. And in other words, it, it, you could say it this way. It, it doesn't teach us everything that we want to know, but it does teach us everything that we need to know. The Bible doesn't teach us everything we want to know, but it does teach us everything that we need to know. It's comprehensive. So why does the word matter here? Because without it, we would not know what to believe. We wouldn't know what to believe. Many churches have demoted the Bible to second place, second to tradition, Second to ex-cathedra, to, to, the, to the leaders of the church, whoever that, whatever church that is, that they supersede, they rise above what Scripture says, and that is where danger overtakes us. The Bible is authoritative and sufficient, and that is why we must study the Word, must study the Word and handle it properly. When we come to discuss the difficult issues of our day, we do well to search the Scriptures like the Bereans. Instead of arguing from reason or logic or tradition, they ask the question, what does the Bible say? And they go back and they search for it. They hear Paul teaching. They read Paul's letters. Is this true? They go back and they search the Old Testament. Is this true? Yes, it is true. This lines up. This is a fulfillment of a promise. This is a beautiful thing. They search the scriptures. God has spoken this morning in this Old Testament. He's spoken in the new. He's made a promise in the old and he's fulfilled it in the new. 
Are you listening? He's teaching us. The Word of God is there to teach us. It teaches us on everything. It teaches us about redemption and the fall. It teaches us on uh, parenting, on marriage, on money management, and it, it's profitable that we listen. So not only does it teach doctrine, but it also offers reproof, and that's a word that we don't use a lot today, reproof. We don't use it, we don't use it quite often. It's a bit odd. But it brings the idea of, of, of exposure or calling somebody out. You could say it that way. Paul, James, rather, actually talks about it in the book of James. He talks about it similar to uh, a mirror. He said the word of God offers reproof because when you look at it, it tells you what's out of place. It tells you what's wrong. And some of you this morning might say, well, I would never get ready. I would never come to 50 Monroe. I'd never come for services on Sunday morning without looking in the mirror first before I enter into the public. Some of you are thinking, you're wondering if I did that. Well, I do use a mirror. Now, I don't spend a lot of time, but I do. So, but... What about you? Would you ever do that? Would you ever go to school without looking in the mirror first? You want to see, like, is your hair parted in the right spot? Do you have, like, spinach from your, your whatever? Why? Who eats spinach for breakfast? But do you have spinach in, in your teeth? Is your, is your hair, does your clothes match? Is, is everything right? Is your beard lined up just right? Is, I mean, this is, a, this is real. This is a serious problem. If you have a beard that's more than just scruff, if you sleep on, on your left side, then it will flatten into your face, right? You need to know these things, right, Kevin? You need to know, is your beard, is it, and I, now I'm getting a little bit self-conscious. But we need a mirror to see these things, and, and a mirror won't fix it for you. A mirror won't fix it, but it will reprove you. It will show you that it's wrong, that it needs to be fixed. And so now you've been made aware. That's reproof. And the, the cool thing is the Bible doesn't just leave us at reproof. It doesn't just tell us where we're wrong. It doesn't just show us that we have a problem. It, it, it corrects us. It offers correction too. It says, hey, you're out of place in this way. How do I get it fixed, God? How do I, get, how do I, how do I adjust it? How do I make this right? The correction is in the scriptures as well. And so not only does it reprove, but it also corrects us. And so think about that. Do you look into the spiritual law? When's the last time you looked into the, the spiritual mirror, I should say? When's the last time you did that? The Bible, God, he's offering reproof. He's offering correction for us this morning. So many times we, we won't look at his word. So, how many times have we asked God, God, I need to hear from you. God, I, I need you to answer me. I need you to give me direction in my life. I need you to help me. What have I done wrong? Where do I move? How do I move forward? And the last place we'll look is the word of God. It shouldn't be so. Church, God has given us his word for reproof for, and for correction as well. So how beautiful that God doesn't just tell us where we're wrong, but he fixes us. He sends us his son to die on the cross, offering us a way through repentance to receive Christ, to receive forgiveness, to be reconciled to God. What a fantastic truth. So the Bible is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof and for correction, but it's also Profitable for training and righteousness. And what does training and righteousness mean? Well, the, the Greek term there, it, it, it's, it's connected to uh, or associated with the word child. So it, it's, it's training of a child is the idea. Like everything they need to know. Children come into this world and what do they know? Very little. They know they're hungry. That's it. And sometimes they don't even know that. We've got to teach them that, right? So they, they come into this world and we've got to teach them everything. We've got to teach them how to sit up. We've got to teach them how to stand up. We have to teach them how to walk. We have to teach them how to run. Then we go back and teach them how to walk again because running is dangerous. And before long, we know that we're, 
we're standing behind them as they're sitting on a bicycle. We're going to push them forward. They've got a helmet on. We're praying that the helmet does its job. And we launch them out into the, the, the asphalt world, right? Hoping that the damage isn't too bad. We, we've, we've trained them from the beginning to the end, right? It's, 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 it's never done. That's the idea of training for a Christian. The Bible gives us everything. We come into this world knowing nothing, right? As a, as a newborn Christian, we know nothing but Jesus. And we look at his word and it instructs us and it tells us everything. It, it teaches us the fundamentals and, and, and even the higher level things. It's everything that we need. It is sufficient. It is sufficient. I want to address this idea. Some, some of you think, well, as a Christian, shouldn't it be very easy now that I'm a Christian, I have the, the Spirit of God living in me, and I have the Word of God that was written for me, shouldn't it be easy to understand and to apply and to grow and to receive reproof and to exercise this correction in my life? Is, shouldn't it be easy? And why would, that, why would it be easy when, when nothing is easy? We work so hard at, our, at everything else that we do. Whether it's our hobbies, we, we research for hours on YouTube and we, we read thousands and thousands of reviews to find out like what's the best way to use this tool in this situation on the trail or whatever you're doing. Maybe it's painting. You're, you're researching and watching hours of Bob Ross, figuring out how to do all the shading and how to make happy trees. We research and we research and we want the Word of God. We work so hard and we want the Word of God to be so easy. It's so easy to understand it, right? No, it's not. Why would it be any different? It's the same thing with our jobs. We go to, we go to school for years, right, to, to be a professional at whatever it is. We've practiced setting that brick just right, and we know how to do it in our sleep, but we've, we've watched people. We've been trained to do that. And we expect it to be so easy to learn the Word of God, and it's just not so. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. The loving Father, He reaches out and He trains us he exposes us to his word. He sends us his word, and we respond in faith and repentance. We begin to set up. He continues to train us, and we cast out our idols. We begin to run a little bit. We further our education in his word, and he continues to sanctify us until we are, as Paul says, complete and equipped for every good work. This all takes place through the scriptures. This all takes place through the Old and the New Testament combined. So how does all this happen? It happens by hearing by hearing what? By hearing the word of God. And just as Christ is sufficient, Christ is only able, he alone is sufficient to, to, to provide us reconciliation with God. Just as he is sufficient, so is the word of God alone. It is sufficient in our lives. It is the only thing able to bring us to a place that we are complete and equipped for every good work. By the way, this is why we preach an expositional sermon here at the church at Martinsburg. We want the point of the text to be the point of the sermon. And that protects us, right? It protects us from saying what we want to say, from, from me jumping on my soapbox and talking about what I want to talk about and not giving you the word of God and what he has said. Not what he's trying to say anyway, but what he has said. So we say here at the Church of Martinsburg that it is enough. The Bible is sufficient. And so we look at the scriptures and we walk through it. The Bible is complete in every way and it equips for every work. So think back to the garden and specifically when God created man. In Genesis chapter 1, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 2, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. He breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living creature. 
Just think about God had created Adam. He made him out of the clay. He formed him and shaped him. He wasn't a creature. He wasn't, he wasn't a being. He's just a lump of clay. He was a lump of dirt. What does God do? He breathes into him the breath of life. The breath of God was given to Adam and he came to life. Nothing else was required for life for Adam there except for God giving his breath to man. It was sufficient and it was enough. And now after we had the fall, we have this book, the very breath of God. And it also, church, it also is enough for us today. And so what does all this mean? The Bible, it means this. The Bible is all we need. It's sufficient for training. It's, it's sufficient for correction. It's sufficient for reproof. And it's sufficient for teaching. I'm going to draw your attention to verses 14 and 15 quickly here. Verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the holy or the sacred writings, which were able to wake, make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's a key word in there that I think is important that we as a church very timely receive, and that's this, the word continue. If you look at verses 10 through 17, if you look at it in the Greek, there is only one present imperative, which translates as a command. There's only one command in verses 10 through 17 for the church today. There's only one command in this section that we've read this morning that Paul was saying, Timothy, you need to do this. All these other things... Just be aware of them. Now, you need to do this. This is a command, and that is this, to continue. Continue. The Apostle Paul says to us this morning, God, through the inspiration of his word, says, continue. Church at Martinsburg. It's always been about Jesus, and the word has always mattered here over the last nine years, but it didn't just start mattering nine years ago. The word mattered for eternity, the Bible says that in John 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word has always mattered. It didn't just start 2,000 years ago. It didn't start nine years ago. We've got to continue. Paul is speaking to us today. God is challenging Timothy then, and he's, he's challenging me today. Continue in the Word. Continue in what you've been trained in. Continue to trust what you trusted in been demonstrated to you, Timothy. It's been demonstrated to you, Josh. Continue in it. And that goes out to you this morning as well. You've heard the word of God this morning. You've seen it. It's been demonstrated to you today that it's authoritative and that it's sufficient. And as a body together in our community groups and on Sunday mornings as we worship and throughout the week as we serve and as we share the, the, the word of reconciliation, we've been encouraged by that. Don't doubt in the dark what God's given you in the light. Some of you are doubting this morning. Is the word of God sufficient? Can I rebel against this and get away with it? No. The word of God is sufficient. The word of God is authoritative. I want to challenge you with this lastly. Some of you may begin to doubt, but I want to encourage you. Don't, don't doubt God's word. Doubt your doubts. Don't think about it. Don't doubt God's word. Doubt your doubts. Are they trustworthy? Is your logic, your reasoning, your, your, your discrepancies, are those really issues that you need to be taking seriously? As we really close here, I want to just read a passage of Scripture, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. I want you to think about it as I read it, and then it will actually frame the, the passage, or the, the prayer that I'll pray as we close. So think about this, Psalm, 7, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says this, The word of God, the word of the Lord, rather, is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Thanks for listening to audio from the church at Martinsburg. Feel free to share this message with a friend and find more sermons at martinsburgchurch.org sermons. The Church at Martinsburg is a body of people helping people find and follow Jesus.